This is The Guardian. Others and welcome to the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Well, that was a bit dramatic, wasn't it? Ridiculous refereeing with red cards galore as Manchester City and Chelsea get a point each. Honours even in the red half of Manchester too, with Russo's return to United ending in a two-all draw for her new side, Arsenal. Leicester atop of the league. Yes, Leicester are top of the league. Liverpool are upsetting the status quo again while the championship takes another twist. And... Got need? Anyone for swapsies? We'll talk stickers, preview a huge Champions League game, plus we'll take your questions. And that's today's Guardian Women's Football Weekly. What a panel we have today. Susie Rack, you're back. I felt like my arm had been chopped off the other day without you. Are you fit and raring to go? Oh yeah, I felt like my head had been chopped off. So, you know, a significant improvement on last week. Marva Creel, a mixed weekend to be an Everton fan, but welcome back to the new season. Yeah, I'm glad to be back. I saw, um, you know, predictions on the preview about Everton getting relegated. So I came ready and prepared and then Everton women just let me down two weeks in a row. But I'll still back them and I'll still fight my case. Absolutely. That's what true fans do. And a true fan who's had a good weekend is Mr Tim Stillman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not bad. If you'd have asked me five minutes before the end of the game on Friday night, I might not have thought so. But yeah, I mean, to kind of put you in the picture, it's 7pm on Monday evening and I'm still a little bit hungover from (laughs) Sunday. So yeah, that kind of explains how my weekend went. What a weekend it was. Absolutely incredible. And of course, we've got to start at the scene of of what felt like one of the most bonkers Barclays WSL games in recent memory. First question that comes in is Freya. What is time wasting? Susie Rack, what is time wasting? Do we know? Lord knows. It's mad, right? Like, I just, A, you know, you're looking at a player like Alex Greenwood and a team like Man City. Just common sense tells you that they're not going to be time wasting in the 36th minute. (laughs) And then you actually watch the sequence of events. It's a, you know, a good few seconds, good 10 seconds or so before she even picks up the ball and get like, you know, gets it out of the legs of the Chelsea players that are sort of around it. And then, you know, she's like looking for somewhere to pass it. I just what got me is, is this really the way the game is going where it cannot stop for a second, that there's no time to reset and reform and have structure to the way you play? Is tactical like skill and formation and all of that, is that all going out the window? Is that what we're really looking for? A game that just does not stop and is relentless like that? Because if that is the way it's going, that's really sad because the idea that you just start regardless of where anyone is and just like, it's like playing a computer game, right? Like it's like playing FC24, you know, where you're just go, go, go. Quick, nearest player, nearest player, pass, pass, pass to get the ball to like in the back of the net or, or whatever. But Where's the time to reset? Where's the time for players to move up the pitch to create space for all of that kind of stuff? If it was 89th minute, okay, maybe, maybe. But even then, I don't think it was too much time to be taking a free kick from. I just, I just, yeah, I'm angry. <laughs> I'm angry and confused. 
Well, I can tell. And I have to say, my opener was a rhetorical question. <laughs> I feel like I've literally just like wound you up and off you go. We'll get into it because there will be some people listening to the pod that haven't got a Scooby-Doo what we're talking about. So we just need to give a little bit of context with it and then uh, and then we'll have a little bit of fun with it. No context will explain it. Well, I, I can explain it a little bit because, you know, she actually was perfectly within her rights to do that. There is no time limit on when you give a yellow card for time wasting. There is no clock, if you like. And I think personally that Emily Heaslip is probably sitting there thinking, OK, I was a bit rash there. That was a little bit. But she's trying to referee the game, make sure that, you know, players are behaving themselves and, and not. She thought it was taking too long and she made a quick judgment and and that's what she did and yes probably a bit of common sense would have been a better decision to make but they're making split second decisions just like the players are but that's just me giving balance before you jump in and absolutely crucify me because let's actually talk about the game all right because it did finish Manchester City won Chelsea won after more than 103 minutes of football at the Joy Stadium by the way can I just add in there (laughs) I've been calling it Joey I've got one of the car seats for my little boy Ted and (laughs) I've called it Joey for the last two years because that's what I thought it was called. It's called Joy. So the Joy Stadium where there was not much joy if you were a Manchester City fan, perhaps. But uh, Gareth Taylor's side finished with nine players on the pitch and the late Chelsea pressure finally paid off when Guru Wrighton scrambled home to snatch a point for the visitors who struggled really all afternoon to find any kind of rhythm. But I mean, that doesn't even go halfway to telling the story of what happened in the game because City were well on top of it. They went ahead in the seventh minute. Chloe Kelly's uh, long-range strike took a bit of a deflection off of Jess Carter's boot, looping over Zashira Musevic in the Blues' goal. Uh, Then it all got a little bit chaotic, didn't it? Referee Emily Heaslip decided to send off City's captain Alex Greenwood after 36 minutes. It was her 100th cap for the club, by the way. She picked up her second yellow for time-wasting. The first yellow, fair enough, I would say. Uh, She was booed. This is the referee, not Alex Greenwood. Booed wildly. Then showed a further three yellow cards for dissent to Greenwood's City teammates, Chloe Kelly, Leia Alexandri and Jill Rord. And then... On the 81st minute, they were down to nine players. This time, Lauren Hemp sent off for a second yellow card. She'd picked up her first for dissent. Um, Second yellow was for a foul on on Lauren James. And then Gareth Taylor also found himself cautioned for dissent on the sidelines. Are you still with me, by the way? I haven't even started talking about the actual football. 96 minutes played. Guru Wrighton poked in from close range and made it one all. And that was after Chelsea had... uh, hit the woodwork on a number of occasions beforehand. I mean, it was controversial to say the least. Susie, you've had your rant, so I'm just going to pass the baton on to whoever else. Marva Creel is looking very... I'm waiting for you to drum your fingers on your chin. Marva Creel, one, two, three, go. I mean, I don't know where to start, to be honest. What I would say is that when it first happened and she got sent off, I was really annoyed because I thought this has really ruined this game. This was like a really tight game. Chelsea were just getting back into it. Like this is really annoying because this is going to be a proper like top flight game. And then to be fair, the entertainment value by the end of it when Chelsea couldn't score against nine players, it did bring it up and it was a very exciting game to watch. So in terms of that, it didn't ruin the game. And I take back what I said when I did think it was going to ruin the game. But yeah, it's, it's just ridiculous because I just think like there is a difference right between tactically slowing the game down and then time wasting 
And generally, when you get a yellow for time wasting, it's when it's a consistent thing or you're taking the absolute mick. I know, obviously, the rules have changed and they've they've been asked to clamp down on it. But then also at the same time, they've been asked to add on an extra like 10 minutes to make up for the time that has been lost. So it's kind of like we're doing both. We're sending people off and we're adding the extra 10 minutes that they've wasted in those 10 seconds anyway. So it just felt so harsh on her. That's IFAB, by the way, rather than PGMOL asking them to do that which is where there's a little bit of an issue, I think, because all the the, the ire is levelled at PGMOL, but it's actually the laws of the game and what's been implemented. Tim Stillman, you're nodding along as well. Yeah, I mean, I just don't think anyone wants that to be a red card. When it comes to time-wasting, I'm quite hardline. I was glad to hear uh, before the season that it would be cracked down on, but that's not time-wasting. There has to be a distinction you know, as Susie said and Marva said, between like slowing the game down or everyone's just really heavily marked and, you know, this goalkeeper has taken six goal kicks and they've all taken over a minute. Like that's when players should be booked. And I just felt like it did kind of rob us of what could have been a really, really good game. I take Marva's point. It was quite exciting and it got quite frantic. But if I was a Man City fan, I'd, I'd be furious because I thought they were playing really, really well. And actually, even with 10 and 9, I thought they played really, really well. I think City are going to be a threat for the title this season. I think they're they're nice and settled for the first time in a couple of years. And it was really interesting. They left Bunny Shaw out. They played Gilroad up front. They were showing a bit of a different face. And then I feel like we actually haven't got a good impression of City from this game just because the game was kind of thrown into chaos and... Even Chelsea, I wonder if they would have preferred for this game to just go on 11 v 11 because it just became really difficult for them to try and break Man City down. It just, whether it ruined the game or not, it completely changed it. And I I just don't think anyone, players, coaches, fans, wants games ruined or games completely changed in the 39th minute for stuff like that. To me, it's like sending someone to prison for driving 32 miles an hour. It's just massively massively over the top you mentioned uh Rod starting up top there i also thought dropping roebuck and starting kira keating in goal was a really bold move you know eddie roebuck didn't have the best end to the season obviously didn't really get a look in at england's clearly not quite in the form she showed a couple of seasons ago before she had a bit of a long-term injury and i felt like you know as well as city fans being you know extremely frustrated with the way things played out and particularly given how dominant they were before the Greenwood sending off. I just thought it was really, really harsh for Keating, who had a like fantastic game and didn't deserve to be on a team that was dropping points. She she really like played her socks off and, you know, fantastic saves, obviously, like really unfortunate for the goal in that she makes a brilliant save before it's poked in by Guru So she didn't deserve to be on a losing team and City didn't deserve to be two players down, let alone one player down. I mean, the descent thing, I I get players being booked for dissent, but when the decision is that bad, like at what point is a player allowed to say this isn't right? <laughs> like, I don't know what Lauren Hemp said, but I struggle. You know, I look at Jonas Seidaval getting booked in the other game after the two yellow cards for Caitlin Ford and Katie McCabe very, very soon after they came on for Arsenal against Man United. And then he gets put in the book for complaining about those yellow cards that are almost instantaneous after they've come on the pitch. No warning, nothing. Like, I just... At some point, you should be allowed to have a little complaint when the decision just seems that ludicrous. I just feel like... I, just that many calls for dissent when the decisions around it have been that bad irritates me. 
Yeah, I think they're being empowered to make decisions and be stronger on on the pitch, but maybe it's going ever so slightly too far, I would say. And it's really difficult, isn't it? Because we're in this situation now where we want it to be black and white and it isn't black and white, it's subjective. And the thing that I found the hardest was the referee being booed. I just don't want to see that. I don't want to see it in football full stop. I just think it's unnecessary completely. They're doing their job and people make split second decisions on a daily basis that can be wrong and you know look I've fumbled my way through the top of this show already you could all just boo me if you wanted to but I mean it's not going to make me have a better performance is it I don't mind a little bit of booing like pantomime style I think it can be a little bit fun it's when it goes a bit further than that it's when referees are having to be escorted from the stadium and things that's when I've got a, a bit more of a problem with it when they're getting harassed as they leave the pitch that kind of stuff a little bit of like booing in the heat of the moment in the same way that you know opposition players will boo players that used to play for them like that I'm sort of okay with to a certain extent a bad decision a little bit of booing it's when it's relentless and when it goes beyond that when it's taken a step further that I've got a problem with it so I don't mind a little bit but yeah I see where you're coming from I'll tell you what was more fun though City Defender Kirsten Caspery on social media roses are red Man City is blue we had two red cards but we still drew quite liked that. I that was very, very clever. Uh, the drama's going to mask the fact though, Tim, isn't it, that Chelsea were actually really poor, particularly in the first half, I think. And they didn't look great last week either in that narrow win over Tottenham. And Emma Hayes fully admitted they just weren't at it, but was still adamant that it was a really good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think you're seeing this with quite a few teams. I mean, I know it's only two games, but the table looks very strange at the moment. And I do think the World Cup is having an impact. And, you know, some of those teams particularly had lots of players away, lots of players who went deep. You know, we're talking about this game. You know, Bunny Shaw didn't start, neither did Sam Kerr. Clearly, Chelsea are playing a bit of a long game there in terms of managing her. She played the World Cup with a calf injury. so And now they've got Fischel in. And so they've, they've really got some good backup there up front. But yeah, they didn't look cohesive at all. Either When it was 11 v 11, I thought City were much the better team, albeit it is true that Chelsea were coming back into it. But it really, really just, they just seemed to struggle to break Man City down. And to be fair, sometimes that can happen. Sometimes when it becomes a real attack for defence game, it can be really, really difficult. And it just, it did just look like that for Chelsea. And I have to admit, even when Chelsea equalised, I wasn't expecting it. I was watching the game thinking, I think City are going to see this out. And that's very, very strange to watch Chelsea. And even when Chelsea don't play well, you always think they might score. But I actually didn't necessarily think they would. In the end, they did. But I really thought that City were going to hold on. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean, Tim, actually. It just doesn't feel like we're seeing, you know, what we know Chelsea can be. But how much heart does City have to take from what they were able to do, Marva, in the circumstances? I mean, Susie mentioned 19-year-old keeper Kiara Keating. She was absolutely incredible, wasn't she? A real inspired performance. Yeah, there were top performances all around. I mean, funnily enough, I think actually in those kind of 10 minutes before Greenwood got sent off was just when Chelsea were starting to get into the game slightly. So I would have... It would have been interesting to see what how would that develop. But I think there is a, a slight thing as well as when loads of decisions go against you and you have the crowd behind you with their booing, whether we agree or not. It does roll you up a bit. It does help the atmosphere. Um, and I think they did kind of all get behind each other in that way. Maybe they should have been a little bit more composed to not get as many yellows, which sort of led to the, the hemp one. But um, 
I think, yeah, they can take a lot of heart from that because I just think, especially when they then brought Ruby Mason, I thought when they brought Bunny Shaw on their power, it wasn't even just like they just sat back and did nothing. I think they actually asked quite a few questions. There were a few times where like, you could just tell they were knackered towards the end, but they still asked a few questions and still got into some some decent positions. And it shows you now that while they don't have the same level of depth that like Chelsea and Arsenal have, I think they do in the sense of they were a very formed team by the end of last season. And now it's just a few extra players to add depth to the positions that they needed it in rather than it being like, how do we fit everyone into the system, which I think Chelsea and Arsenal were struggling with the kind of amount of players that they have currently. So I'll be interested to see them towards the end of the season. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's still early days, isn't it? Right, let's move on to Friday. Manchester United 2, Arsenal 2. It was a thriller under the lights at uh, Lee Valley Sports Village. Chloe Lacasse's 93rd minute screamer rescued a point for Arsenal at Manchester United. The two sides had traded blows all evening. Stina Blackstenius putting the visitors ahead with a lovely finish before a moment Sabrina D'Angelo's never going to want to see again. Selected between the sticks by Jonas Eideval in place of regular number one Manuela Zinsberger. She mistimed a clearance horribly Horribly, presented Leah Galton with the chance on a plate to roll the ball into an open goal. Uh, United thought they'd won it late on when Melvin Mallard scored on her debut, but there was another late twist with Lacasse firing into the top left corner to give Arsenal their first point of the season. Tim, you were there. Was a draw a fair result? I mean, probably just about, yeah. From an Arsenal perspective, I think Jonas Eideval summed it up quite well, actually. He said, we played well enough to win. But when you're losing going into stoppage time, it's difficult to argue that you should have won. I think this was a strong performance by Arsenal in a difficult game, in difficult circumstances. But one thing that Arsenal fans have been talking about a lot during the summer is, I guess, worries over defence and goalkeeper. Because they've lost their first choice centre-half partnership from last season with Hafaeli leaving and Leah Williamson injured. And they have two new centre-backs that they just bought this summer. Um, Sabrina D'Angelo was in goal. Arsenal do rotate their goalkeepers a little bit and they selected D'Angelo, I believe, because they had a game plan to counter-attack and D'Angelo tends to play when Arsenal want to play on the counter. So, But you could see that that lack of familiarity at the back in both goals that United score, actually. And the disappointment for from an Arsenal perspective is they did play really well and I think overall deserved to win the game and had the better chances. But essentially they just chuck the ball in the net for United twice and that's been a big concern for Arsenal fans I think over the summer and and I think it's it's not just a question of the quality of the players they brought in I think they've brought in good defenders it's just how long is it going to take you know when you've got two new defenders and a relatively new goalkeeper and Arsenal tried to buy Mary Earps in the summer as well like it doesn't feel settled back there and I think that costs them two points. Yeah, it doesn't feel settled because they also made six changes um, from their opening day defeat against Liverpool. So they're not even being given an opportunity to click, Susie. What did you make of Jonas Eideval's decision-making there? It's hard. It's sort of inevitable to sense. I think, you know, he's one of many managers who are struggling to reintegrate the players that went far at the World Cup whilst maintaining like a competitive edge like that's a really hard balance to strike and you know you play a load of those players that that competed at the world cup last week and they look you know a little off the pace and stuff and you sort of then got to rethink so uh, you're then bringing in players that competed to the end of the world cup as well so that you rested almost last week you know like 
Illustead, Kadena, you know, these are players that, that went right to the death and suddenly you're then throwing them into the fold. But you're sort of constantly striking that balance, right? Like you start like Lotta uh, and McCabe and, you know, Catley out of position last week to try and give those players that went to the World Cup and went to the end a break. And then you're, it doesn't work. <laughs> Nothing quite clicks and you're having to bring them back in, having had perhaps a shorter break and a, sh- a slower integration than you would have liked. I just don't think any of it's quite right. But I also don't blame him too much either because of those sort of enforced changes with Raffaele going and uh, Leah Williamson being injured in that like it's new partnerships forming uh, like regardless of what else has gone on and regardless of the World Cup and that anyway. So it's, it's a really difficult one. I was expecting changes. I wasn't expecting as many changes as that. You know, obviously D'Angelo really, really struggled, but they played really, really well and so much better than they did against Liverpool. I think, you know, the changes were justified. Jonas's team selection, it was all about the fact that Arsenal were setting up to counter-attack. So they put Pullover in because she's really good in tight situations. They played D'Angelo for that reason. They played Kim Little out on the left for that reason. And so she could come in and she really disrupted Ladd and Zellum as well. So most of it was tactical. I did think it was really interesting. Jonas, I think, said to Sky afterwards that he announced the bench to his team before he announced the starting lineup because he wanted to put across how important he thought the subs would be. And, I mean, one of them came on and scored the equaliser, but I thought that was quite an interesting approach as well. Yeah, really interesting. He also said the performance was big from us today. Not many teams come to Lee Sports Village and are the better team than Manchester United are. We created clear chances. We were more creative and more clear in attack. No skin in the game on this one for you, Marva. But what's your assessment of where both these teams are in the early stages of the season? Yeah, I was I was definitely more impressed with Arsenal um, in this game. And, and like Tim said, it was a sort of weird one where you kind of thought they deserved to win. But when when United really could have won it so easily with only a few minutes left, you have to take what you can get. And given that, that Arsenal have lost home and away against United last season as well, they can, I guess, be somewhat happy with a point. But um, yeah, they definitely impressed me. I mean, the bar was low in terms of compared to Liverpool's performance. So um but they definitely set up in a much better way, I thought. Man United's midfield really struggled and I was quite surprised by Mark Skinner's substitutions that he didn't kind of give them a bit more of a boost during the game. But then also when you've got Miazara and, and Mala to bring on then, and Williams as well, then fair enough if you're looking for a goal. But they just sort of looked overrun in midfields and they were gifted two goals in the end. So I think Arsenal can leave feeling happier in the sense of what's to come for the future. But then from Man United's perspective, we still haven't seen Miyazawa and Mallard fully. So, And I thought Jace was brilliant, actually, as well. She kind of just exudes this like class that I think it reminds me of when I watched Lauren James. It's this kind of they get the ball and it's just effortless and it's just they can glide past players. So um, I'm excited to see her. And they do have lots of talent and it's a complete change of system now in the way they play as well. So there's, there's a lot to adjust to for both those teams, but I think Arsenal looked a lot more solid than they did the week before, whereas there are still quite a few questions about United, I think. I thought Garcia looked really, really good as well. Um, really impressed me. Arsenal really struggled to deal with her defensively. And I also thought Gabby George has slotted in very, very well too. Um, looked really, really natural. Obviously, on your back is a huge loss and you know how you deal with that loss is, is massive swapping Hannah Blundell, who I think really struggled into that position, was difficult. 
but sticking Gabby George on the left was inspired. She was brilliant. I mean, they still need to solve the right back position, but but yeah, she's a great, great, great buy, and I thought it looked really, really, really assured. Yeah, Mark Skinner actually said we've come a long way if Arsenal are celebrating like that at the end. It means a lot to get a point at Manchester United now. He can't help it, can he? He can't, can't help but put a little dig in. Just a really quick one, Tim, on Alessia Russo, because all the news going into this match was about her return to Lee Sports Village after she left for Arsenal in the summer. I mean, she didn't get on the score sheet, but she played a pretty important role, didn't she? Yeah, she did. She played really well as well, and she she should have got on the score sheet, really, and hit the post and she played a slightly different role out wide. And again, that was about spring encounters because she's really, really good in tight spaces and Arsenal really wanted to use Russo and Little and Pullover to kind of protect the ball and launch counter-attacks. And I thought she did that brilliantly. And then she moved up front for the last kind of half an hour and I thought she looked really, really dangerous there actually. And, you know, terrific performance. And she just didn't look because obviously you know there was there was a little bit of a needle from the home fans which I think is fine but she handled that really well like I don't even necessarily think she was motivated by it I think it was just a non-issue for her and she just played her normal game and I think she was one of the best players on the pitch yeah agreed Uh, that's it for part one in part two we'll round up the rest of the weekend's action and look ahead to some big midweek ties in Europe and the Conti Cup Welcome back to part two of the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Let's begin this part at Prenton Park, shall we? Where Liverpool's impressive start to the season continued. Another scalp for them. This time a 2-0 victory over Aston Villa. Goals in either half from a duo of summer signings. Marie Hobinger and Natasha Flint, meaning the Reds have picked up six points from a possible six. While Villa who we tipped, I mean, we know our predictions are terrible, we tipped to break into the top four, yet to get off the mark. And actually, Carla Ward gave a very honest assessment of her team afterwards. Uh, She said, that is one of the worst performances we put out as a team. We know that. It's a reality check. Everyone's talking about us as a top four side, and we're miles off that at the moment. We need to get back to basics, have a look at what we're good at, and get back to that. I mean, listen, I feel a little bit awful because last week we did exactly the same thing. Are we giving all the praise to Matt Beard's side here or criticising Aston Villa for having a bad day at the office? I I feel as if we should always actually give the kudos to the team that won the points. Yeah, I think we have to give credit to Liverpool. Um, They've been incredible. Just the defensive organisation of the team for both games has been brilliant. You know, and if anything, the goal line clearance from Coivisto was as impressive as the goals but they're just they're just so well organized and they look very well set up for whoever they're facing you know they're really adapting their system and their setup to accommodate whoever they're playing um you know they dealt with Arsenal so so well last week this week Aston Villa like really nullified the threats of Rachel Daly very, very easily. Um, you know, obviously Aston Villa are missing Kenza Daly and stuff, which is such a massive, massive absence. But it was just um, like for me, you have to give the credit to what Matt Beard is doing with Liverpool because they just, they, it's not an accident that two games in against, you know, two teams you would expect them to not pick a point against. So they've got six points. It's, you know, once is a fluke, twice is genius. Wow, genius. Okay, 
We'll mark that one down for later on in the season, I, I think. As an Evertonian, Marva, you can't really be looking forward to facing this Liverpool side in next weekend's <laughs> Merseyside derby. No, I can't. And I'm actually more annoyed because I did a preview elsewhere of the WSL where I tipped Liverpool as my team to watch. And the Guardian <laughs> listeners will never know that I finally made a good prediction because it wasn't on this pod. But maybe if I'd made it on this pod, it wouldn't have come true. So, yeah, I do think they'll be much, much better this season because... They're already looking a lot stronger towards the end of last season and now they've added some goal scorers as well. What I will say, obviously as an Evertonian, I'm going to bring up some negatives, but um, no, I think there were a few moments just straight after they went 1-0 up where um, Daly had a few chances that I think, I don't know whether it's tiredness from the World Cup, we're going to keep using that excuse for the rest of the season, I think. But um, yeah, I think I was I was quite surprised she didn't convert those. But they're just, Liverpool are just so clinical and they're just so well set up wherever Villa had the ball there Liverpool weren't it was the same against Arsenal and really crowd out that middle and unless you switch the play very quickly and get those balls in very quickly and then even when you get the ball in you've got three solid centre-backs who are going to clear that ball away from you so given they're a very clinical team and Everton currently are the opposite of that I very much worry for the derby next weekend but you never know. Well, especially bearing in mind, for a second week in a row, Willie Kirk is going to be screenshotting the WSL table because his Leicester side is sitting pretty at the very top. Six points from impossible six after that 1-0 win over lacklustre, sorry Marva, Everton. To make matters worse for the Toffees, Justine Van Hevermet had a penalty save by Leipzig at the end of the first half and summer signing Lena Peterman made them pay, uh, striking in the 69th minute. Let's throw it over to our Everton fan. I'm sure she just wants to hide right now, but plenty of chances. Overall, though, you have to admit Leicester were probably the better side, Marva. I don't know. I think the first half, yes. I think second half we had, and especially obviously missed that penalty. And then the first 25 minutes, even up to their goal, I think, we were much the better side. We had some really, really clear chances. How Piermonte didn't score, how Lucy Hope didn't score. Like, they were clear clear chances that I'll bring out the old Sean Dyche XG excuse that I'm very much used to but I think also the offside ruling at the end um, for our equaliser that got chalked off was so so tight I don't know if that was offside maybe it's my rose tinted glasses but given that there's no VAR to call that offside when it was so tight I thought that was extremely harsh so I think we could have walked away with a point if not all three because we really did have some strong chances, but it's just, again, that kind of like switch off in the key moments that's a little bit worrying. Like Pimont, they just lost the ball and then everyone just kind of slightly switched off. Two mistakes and that's it, they're in and then the game's gone. And then obviously, yeah, a missed penalty and a, a great save from Leipzig and on the rebound as well, who once again put in a world-class performance. I don't know if she's just saving it for Everton or if she's like this every single game, but it was a, another ridiculous performance from her. Yeah, she looks like a real inspired signing, doesn't she? A bit of a coup for Willie Kirk and his side. Um, let's go to Brisbane Road next. Tottenham got up and running with a 3-1 victory over Bristol City. Pretty much done and dusted by half-time, actually, for Robert Villaham's side. Courtesy of first-half goals from summer signing Olga Artinen and a second of the campaign for Martha Thomas and a curling free kick from Evelina Summonen. Amelie Thestrup pulled one back from the penalty spot for Bristol City just after the hour mark, but in truth, they never really looked like they were going to get back into the game. We did see a lot of positive signs, Tim, from Spurs against Chelsea last weekend, and they were good value for the three points. Yeah, definitely. And and that's, you know, I, I think it's going to be a tough season for Bristol City, but particularly when you consider Spurs are without Beth England, 
Um, so for them to generate that much threat as well, albeit Martha Thomas's goal in this, uh, I'm not sure Kaelin Marchese will want to look back on that too fondly. But yeah, Spurs had this absolutely wrapped up by halftime and they could have had more goals. I mean, Ashley Neville went very close at the end as well. So, you know, for them, real positives to build on from the Chelsea game as well. They look like an interesting team to me this season. Um, I think they made a good managerial appointment there, a very, very interesting one. And what Tottenham really had to do, I mean, last season, they kind of had so little until they bought Beth England. But then they got Beth England and it was just the Beth England show and they need to show kind of more faces than that. And I think Martha Thomas is a great pickup for them as well. And and yeah, a, a good performance for Spurs and really put this to bed. But for Bristol, I, I think it's it's going to be a tough season possibly for them. I also really like the look of Grace Clinton as well. You know, another pickup from Man United uh, on loan. You know, if they could get her permanent, I think they'd bite their hands off. I thought she looked really, really exciting and dangerous. Um, really, really nice player to watch for the future in terms of Kayla Mockies's <laughs> mess up for the goal. I mean, in a way, it's good for Arsenal that she didn't uh, give them a further headache of whether to recall her from her loan <laughs> to fill the gap that's uh, that's quickly being left by Arsenal's existing uh, two first choice two keepers at the moment. In a sense, you know, she's done them a favour. <laughs> I like your thinking there. Um, doesn't get any easier for Bristol City on their return to the top flight, though. They've got Manchester City next weekend and then Arsenal after that. A really tricky start for them. But we are rooting for them because of our friend of the show, Anita Asante, of course. Um, why have you just put your baseball cap on, Susie? Just keep my fringe was annoying me. It kept getting in my eyes. It's a bit too long, you know. I looked up from the screen and you'd just gone very gangster with it on back to front. I was like, what's going on? Uh, Right. Also points on the board for West Ham, thanks to their 2-0 win over Brighton at the Broadfield Stadium. Goals in either half again, Kirsty Smith and Rico Uecki. It feels like a really big victory for Rianne Skinner-Marva. Just the Hammers' second win in 14 games and felt as if they showed quite a lot of positive things in this game. Plenty of praise for their intensity and energy in this one. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, like, I think people can forget because of the season Spurs had last season, but the one before that, Ryan Skinner had a great, did a great job of them and, and made them into a really sort of hard to beat defensive side. So when you've already got Arnold in, in goal and, and Sissoko and, and players like that, then if you've got a manager like that, it might it might work out quite nicely. But I do think this season is we're going to see a lot of those mid-table teams really taking points off each other. I don't think you're going to be able to predict. Whereas last season, it was kind of like there were a few different gaps building in the league where you kind of had Reading and Leicester and Brighton all sort of taking points off each other and then kind of losing to everyone else. Uh, Spurs being thrown in that as well. Whereas I think this season, we're going to see it a lot more competitive and, and it very hard to predict. Yeah, disappointing for Melissa Phillips' side, though, after their positive start against Everton last week. Pauline Bremer and Elizabeth Turlin both had great chances, but just couldn't find a way past Mackenzie Arnold. It's going to be a huge night, isn't it, on uh, Tuesday at Lee Sports Village. Manchester United host Paris Saint-Germain in the first leg of their Champions League second qualifying round tie. It's a historic night as well for Mark Skinner's side, their first ever appearance in this competition. Uh, Navdeep asks... How far do you think Manchester United can go in the Champions League? How do you rate their chances, Tim? I mean, I think this is a really, really tough tie for them. Paris Saint-Germain over two legs. And really, there weren't many good ties um, for them to draw. They could have got Wolfsburg. They could have got Real Madrid. I mean, 
this stage of the competition is so, so tough in many respects. I think kind of tougher than the group stage, not least because you only get one chance, um, he says as an Arsenal fan. And it really can, if it just goes wrong for you on one night, you're kind of out. I think this is going to be really, really tough um, for them. I think it will be massive for them if they get through against PSG. If they do... I'd expect them probably to go through a group stage, although it would probably depend on the seeding because they'd probably be third seeds, I think. Um, They certainly wouldn't be in the top two seeds. So the Women's Champions League is so distinct from the men's because it's a smaller, tighter competition. Getting through the qualifiers is unbelievably tough in its own right. So really, if I were Manchester United, I'd just be thinking about this tie because... I haven't seen the odds, but I would imagine Paris Saint-Germain may be considered slight favourites for this. Mm. It's interesting you say that, actually, Tim, because Mark Skinner's spoken out about the way the Women's Champions League draws done. In his pre-match press conference on Monday, he said English teams have a much harder qualification route than other teams. When I look at some of the teams who will make the group stages from the other section, it just doesn't seem right. There's some teams playing each other that's almost a free hit interesting thoughts on that and I mean dare I say (laughs) sorry both of you two Arsenal fans on the pod in in one day but they're not going to want to do an Arsenal are they Uh, did you see enough from them on Friday night Susie to think they'll stand a chance across two legs not on Friday night but I think in general yes I completely agree with Tim I think it's gonna be really really difficult you know your first game in Europe PSG it's a really, really, really tough fixture. I think we've seen, you know, with how like Arsenal against Wolfsburg last season, despite all the injuries and stuff. And then, you know, when Chelsea played Barcelona in the final, like when you come up against a team that has real Champions League pedigree and experience in the competition, it's a really, really difficult thing to do. Um, and a really, yeah, just a different, a different approach to those games and a different mentality around them. And, PSG is so supremely experienced in the competition that it's like that alone is going to make it really, really difficult. If they get through, I think they've got a chance of getting out of the group to a certain extent, regardless of where they're seeded. Because if they get past PSG, I think that the impact that that will have on them psychologically as, as much as anything else would be huge. It's going to be super interesting if they do get through to see how they balance the volume of games. I think that's going to be a real test and could like negatively impact them across all competitions potentially but you know anything's possible yep certainly is PSG currently fifth in the table domestically it is early stages there as well though they've only played three games won two of them and the one they lost was to Lyon now it couldn't get any tighter at the top of the women's championship three teams currently all sat on 12 points the big winners this weekend were Southampton they surged to the top after a 2-0 win over Watford taking advantage of the points dropped by both Sunderland and Blackburn who were beaten 4-0 by Crystal Palace Uh, elsewhere incredibly emotional scenes at Bramall Lane on Saturday as Sheffield United beat London City Lionesses 3-1 it was the first game since the tragic passing of Blades midfielder Maddie Cusack, some really beautiful tributes on social media and many of the players dedicating those three points to her. Then at the bottom of the table, Lewis propping up the division as it stands, just a point from their opening six games so far. They were narrowly beaten 1-0 by Reading on Sunday. Uh, Now we saw history 
in the NWSL on Friday night. A record crowd of 34,130 fans bid farewell to Megan Rapinoe as she played her final regular season home game for OL Reign. Uh, incredible support in the crowd, many donning pink wigs in her honour. And this is what she had to say afterwards. I do know my impact, but it was one thing to know it and another thing to really feel it and see it. To see some of the signs in the pink wigs and see what that means to people, it's hard to put this deep sense of gratitude and joy and thankfulness of being able to have a moment like this into words. I mean, what an absolute legend uh, she is. I think we've given her all the plaudits on this pod, haven't we? Um, Guess what? Continental Cup is back. That feels quick. Format's not confusing at all, is it? It hasn't changed from last season, so we're beginning the competition with a group stage, split regionally. Uh, The Champions League competitors are exempt, so we're not going to be seeing Chelsea or Manchester United until the quarterfinal stage, I think, unless Manchester United get knocked out of the Champions League qualifier. Because Arsenal were knocked out of European action, they were drawn in Group D. That first fixture is not going to take place until November, though, so we'll wait and see about Manchester United as well. Five groups and the team that finishes first will qualify for the knockout stage. (sighs) Every single year it is impossible. (laughs) Oh my goodness me. It's just, they need to reform it. I think we all know that. I think we all know it. I think they know it as well. (laughs) A couple of uh, big all WSL ties in Group B to start us off though. Everton against Manchester City and Leicester against Liverpool. How seriously are we anticipating teams are going to take this competition this season, Marva? Are Everton going to go big? I was hoping that Man City won't um, for that game. But um, yeah, we haven't had the best of of runs in the cup under Sorensen, actually. We didn't do very well in in the Quanta Cup last season. And if we're not going to be, you know, challenging for sort of that fifth place like we were last season, we might as well try and give it a go in the Quanta Cup and the FA Cup. But yeah, that's easier said than done. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see. I'll keep my fingers crossed. And by the way, I'm not devaluing the Conti Cup in, in any way at all, by the way, because the final is always brilliant. Yeah, don't devalue our one trophy. No, I know. I'm sorry about that. I'm definitely not devaluing it. I would just like it to be a little bit less complicated. Uh, That is all. Uh, Big shout out to Mary, Queen of Stops, who has broken the internet, kind of. One of our colleagues, Catherine Batty from the Mail, says Mary Earp's England goalkeeper shirt went on sale today and has already sold out. No announcement from Nike. Three colours were available. Some shirts are reselling for £200 and more are set to be on sale soon. Susie Rack. Yeah, and you could get an Ollie uh, Giroud goalkeeper shirt for his little cameo in goal for AC Milan before you could get a, a Mary Earp shirt um, for England's the you know, world best goalkeeper and World Cup finalist and Euros champion. Yeah, I mean, it beggars belief. I mean, A, that they can charge 100 quid for a goalkeeper shirt and B, that they can do that after saying that there's no demand for it and then see it sell out so quickly. Just what's frustrating is obviously you want it to be on sale, but you also don't want Nike to be rewarded for like having not sold it as well. You know, you don't want to have them get that money. In a way, you sort of want to say... You've got to, you know, give the first however many thousands of shirt sales to charity or something to like atone for your like massive balls up. That's my my feelings. I don't think that's going to happen, Susie. But, um, you know, we'll pass on your feedback um, (laughs) for sure. Uh, Now, I got very excited about this because I'm a bit of a geek and I'm assuming the three of you are as well. The FA and Panini have announced the first ever Barclays Women's Super League official sticker collection. Woohoo! 
How exciting. Now, are we going to have a little syndicate going on? Are we going to be doing swapsies? I think we need a WhatsApp group. I think we need a swapping WhatsApp group. No one needs another WhatsApp group, Susie. Seriously, (laughs) nobody in their life needs another one. (laughs) But we're very excited about it and we're very excited. We're going to try and get you all involved in it as well. Maybe we'll have a a Guardian Women's Football Weekly sticker book and see how we get. Because I don't think it's coming out till December, is it? So we've actually only got like three quarters of the season to fill it. Are we going to do it by May? That's the question. It's also slightly mad to bring it out just before the January transfer window as well, when everything will change too. Like just, but you know, let's baby steps. It's here. It's here. Oh my god! Didn't even think of that. Finally, <laughs> yes, baby steps indeed. Marva, a pleasure as always. I hope that you get some um, Everton joy on the female side soon. Let's hope so. Tim Stillman, always a pleasure. My pleasure as always. Thanks for having me. Susie Rack, go make yourself a rap album. I'm really disappointed we haven't dedicated half of the podcast to the Arsenal Man City men's game. Like, I just, you know, sometimes, sometimes there's a time and place. Women's Football Weekly. Go speak to Max <laughs> Rushton and Barry Glenn Denning. I'm sure they'll have you on. Welcome you in with open arms. Wait, why didn't they get me on? They should have got me on. Right, go tell them. Go tell them. They've got another pod Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. They're all the time. Uh, We'll see you on Tuesday for all the fallout from the third week of action, including the Merseyside derby and news from the Women's Champions League. Remember, you can email us at womensfootballweekly at theguardian.com and make sure to subscribe to the Moving the Goalposts newsletter. The Guardian Women's Football Weekly is produced by Lucy Oliver. Music composition was by Laura Iredale. Our executive producer is Sal Ahmad. This is The Guardian.